You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the latest episode of Credit Edge, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Olivia Raimonde, and I'm a reporter at Bloomberg News covering corporate finance and credit. My guest today will be my fellow colleague, Carmen Arayo, who is a structured credit reporter at Bloomberg, as well as Mike Holland, a senior analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. And so let's get to it. Um, Carmen, my first question is going to be to you. The market rally this year has been fierce, um, but it seems like there is one corner of the credit markets that maybe is feeling it a little bit more than others. Can you talk to us about that? Sure. Thank you very much um, for having us here. Um, One, that's correct. All credit has basically rallied, but there's a part of the structured market that has seen like an even bigger rally, especially compared to last year, and that's mortgage-backed securities, which are bonds that repackage home loans backed by the government, backed by the agencies. Um, and January saw was basically a record in terms of excess returns, which are gains beyond treasuries. The bonds saw basically the best start of the year ever. And that's a huge contrast to what we saw last year when the same bonds basically plunged in value and reached record lows in the fall. Um, that was basically because the biggest buyers of the debt, which were U.S. banks and the Fed, stepped back from the market, meaning there was not not really like a huge demand for them, only like marginal buyers. Got it. Got it. And then forgive my ignorance, but the uh, the real estate sector seems to have been hit pretty hard uh, this year um, as the Fed has risen rates and uh, tightened up the economy a bit. Uh, which area of of, the, of your structured world does that impact the most? Sure. So mortgage rates have, you know, gone up by a lot in 2022, and they're still pretty high. And that has impacted both residential mortgages and commercial mortgages. Um, in basically the loans that go into this mortgage-backed securities we were talking about earlier, that has been felt a lot. Um, homeowners basically have no incentive to refinance their houses, so they're not repaying their debt. Um, that impacts bondholders a lot because now they can kind of calculate when they're going to see their bonds prepaid or when they're going to get the prepayments back. Um, but that has also impacted real st- like commercial real estate as well. Um, in commercial mortgage bonds, which is CMBS, which repackage commercial re- like commercial mortgages, 
we've seen a lot of like a, a slowdown in issuance. Um, mm. I believe so far this year we're around 90% down compared to last. Oh, wow. Um, big drop. Big drop. And it's mainly one, one of the reasons for it is that there's a little bit less activity in the real estate sector, a little bit less M&A. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to buy a house where mortgage rates are right now. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's a little – there's basically a slowdown. Got it. Got it. And then you also uh, do a lot of our coverage um, with CLOs. Can you uh, speak to what's um, happening there? Sure. So the CLO market has has seen also a big rally this year. Um, so it's it's very interesting because that also like kind of trickles down into leverage loans, and there's a lot of demand for for the debt now. Um, CLO AAA spreads have tightened a lot in January. Uh, they were very, very wide in the fall around, I think they reached around 260 basis points, which is very, very wide. And now they're closer to 180, which is, that is really great if you want to issue a bond right now. Absolutely. Uh, and that drives demand for the underlying junk debt. Which is good. It's junk, good. junk bonds have been <laughs> rallying. <laughs> so there's definitely, there's definitely a positive there for all structured assets. Although the last week's unemployment, uh, data like kind of like led mortgage-backed securities for instance to like the, the prices plunged a little bit in fr- uh, like on Friday Monday they've been they've had they have stabilized now but they they went down a little bit and the, and the demand from the CLO warehouses how's that going yeah so managers are starting to you know push out deals that they had been working for on for a while uh, many of them had warehouses that were underwater last year because home prices were very low last year. And now with loan prices rallying, it's it's a good window to kind of push that stuff out now. Excellent. Excellent. That makes sense. And then aside from structure, I know you do a little bit of coverage in our distressed debt land. Um, and you had a story out recently talking about um, the state of healthcare care um, within distressed debt. On high level, can you just let us know what's going on with that? Sure. So, um from the sectors we've been looking at, healthcare is one is one of the leading sectors in terms of downgrades last year. Wow. Um, it's it's definitely a little bit more distressed than others, and it's facing a lot of like inflationary costs and struggles, and labor costs are high as well. So, uh, the owners of the leverage or the leverage loans that are tied to these companies are taking a little bit of a harder look into the sector. Got it. Well, good thing we have a healthcare expert here with us, Bloomberg Intelligence, Mike Holland. Uh, Mike, um, you've been covering a lot in the healthcare space. Um, can you discuss a little bit about what's going on broadly across the sector following some of the tough 2022 performance that we saw? Sure. <clears throat> thanks, Olivia, for having me, Carmen. Great to be here with you. Uh, and thanks for having me on. Um, so 2022 performance for the healthcare, all subsectors across healthcare were, were pretty challenging. Um, high yield healthcare in particular uh, suffered from a series of downgrades and defaults. We had distressed exchanges, all sorts of litigation, whether it be opioid litigation or issues around regulatory challenges, um, as well as ongoing changes to the sort of the reimbursement environment, how healthcare providers are paid. Um, and, and all those conspired to, you know, give sector analysts like myself one of the more difficult years in recent memory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so far in 22, like we started out saying, uh, market momentum has really proven supportive um, to the healthcare, you know, broader healthcare credit sector. Um, but but a lot of risks still remain. Um, 
you know, something that Carmen was talking about was, you know, I, I, if you think about the high yield bond index that we cover here at Bloomberg, 50% of pharma bonds are just trading distress, which is really interesting, wow. right? Wow. And, and, and the the main driver of that is Bausch Health, which is the former Valiant, right? Yes. Um, and, and they're doing a, a sort of a <clears throat> a transaction where they're spinning out the most valuable asset, Bausch and Loam, and leaving bondholders on the hook. So um, on the hook with a you know much smaller company with a lower earnings base. So that's been a challenge. Also, providers like Carmen said are challenged by much higher labor costs. I mean, the rates have come down off their peaks. Um, you know, at one point, you know, uh, average employment or average hourly wages uh, for hospitals and sort of healthcare providers were, were going up, you know, high single digits, low double digits. And, and that's come down to mid single digits, but we're, we're resetting at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. And so costs for providers, whether it be hospitals or physician practice management groups, um, you know, re- remain elevated. And that'll be a pain point in 2022 or 2023. Really interesting. And I think you covered some of this in what you just said. But my understanding was that in the past, healthcare was a place to go during a recession. That's a, That was almost like a safe haven. And it really does not seem to be one anymore. Could you clarify for us like what has changed? Yeah, absolutely. I, if, you, if you go back to 2010 and through 2015, we had this period of really, really aggressive cost increases in healthcare. And that was a combination, one, of drug pricing infl- increases, which, you know, Valiant was kind of case in point, right? The, uh, the black sheep of the space. Um, but, but more importantly, you know, hospital costs were also going up as well, kind of unabated. Um, and as a result, the cost of healthcare was increasing. And if you think about, you know, your, your insurance payments, right? You know, and premiums have gone up, but deductibles went up. Big time, right? Uh, yeah, very yeah. high, very high. <laughs> yeah, the the and, and the consumer became the first payer, even even though you're supposed to have this insurance. But if you've got a deductible that's five thousand or ten thousand dollars for a family, you're going to defer care. So what was previously consumer non-discretionary, in a way, has become consumer discretionary. I would caveat that by saying, you know, healthcare insurance companies, health insurance companies, the payers are pretty resilient, right? Because um, you're paying them. The battle between the payers and the providers has been ongoing for a very long time, uh, and, and that's where the negotiations and contracting uh, becomes an issue and, and why you see these payers and providers try to become as big as possible so that they can you know, throw their weight around and help control those contracting processes. If you look at CVS today, look at UNH today, United Health, uh, they are getting big for a reason. They are getting big for a reason, that's for sure. And one thing that has been the hallmark of really markets across uh, 2020 and into 2023, especially in distressed, is the volatility. Um, What stands out to you there? You know, uh, there's a lot of different components uh, of healthcare in terms of, like I mentioned earlier, the evolution of reimbursements and the payer-provider battles. Um, some of the names that I've looked at recently that are, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Bausch Health over the past year, uh, the volatility there, bond prices there are in the 40s for the unsecured bonds. And basically that that's a result of Carl Icahn and some of the equity investors that are in, in the name that are uh, effectuating this extraction of Bausch and Loan. Um, that's one that you know we've touched upon a lot. I, I, I think what's what's more interesting to me today is sort of these one-off names that are smaller. Um, two credit stories in particular 
really jump out to me. The first one, which we have a pretty positive view on, uh, has rallied really strongly since the beginning of the year. We wrote on Acumen back in uh, late December. And Acumen is this really niche uh, mobile diagnostic imaging company. So think about like trucks with MRI machines in them that, that drive to a rural hospital when there's increased demand for uh, imaging. Um, they also have trailers that sort of are a little more stationary, but Acumen bought Alliance Healthcare a couple years ago, which was which had a little bit more of the mobile imaging uh, capability, and the company hasn't really grown. And so for, for last year, the bond prices really plummeted. Uh, we had a couple different issues. There's a, a, an investor in the name <clears throat> that has the option to uh, pick to toggle their payment, which mm -hmm. right now, so Stone Peak is the investor in Acumen that has a uh, sizable investment, and they have the option at the end of the year to toggle their, um, their, their bonds to cash pay. And the company doesn't really have that much uh, capability of doing that uh, at this point, given constrained liquidity. So the bonds sold off big time. Uh, what's, you know, <clears throat> what, what, what's interesting now is, you know, since the beginning of the year, I think most a lot of investors have seen uh, the uh, possibility of Stone Peak basically forcing this company into bankruptcy as you know sh you know shooting off their own foot. There's no reason for them to do that. It wouldn't serve their their purposes. So you know the the bonds had traded to the low sixty cents on the dollar range. Um, there's two different bonds, and they both rallied about ten to twelve points since the beginning of the year, which is a big you know twenty percent. Uh, gainer. Yeah, for uh, sure. And the equity, even more interesting, you know, through yesterday was up 80%. You know, this is a, a stub equity piece that's trading about, a, you know, $1.30, you know, $1.20 right, right now, but uh, it was a big gain. So, you know, the market was really concerned about accounting delays and some management concerns, but sentiment's starting to improve. Um, so, so that's been one that's been been pretty interesting. To it, me. it definitely seems like a pretty good buy opportunity there. Um, you know, based on what you're saying, I know you you flagged one of the bonds to me due in 2028 that were trading as low as 60 cents on the dollar and yielding 18 percent. So there's like some pretty hefty yields right, to collect. If you, right. If you believe the company's going to survive, it's a really interesting opportunity. Also, what's interesting too is these are smaller businesses that could be targeted for an acquisition. I mean, I think down the road, management here wouldn't mind getting some interest from a large hospital uh, system, you know, to maybe make, a, make an investment down the road. But uh, we have to see them sort of right the ship a little bit, um, management to sort of clear up some of the concern, concerns around management and, um, you know, sort of show some growth because it's been a challenging growth story. The, the predecessor company that they bought, Alliance Healthcare, was uh, you know, it was a stable company, but wasn't was never really a grower. So we'll, we're we're in a wait and see position right now. Wait um, and see position. Yeah, I just want to circle you back to M and A really quickly because I I know that that's going to be a top theme in the healthcare space today. Um, but the M and A pipeline globally has has slowed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about how that slowdown um, is going to impact? Um, potential acquisitions and how successful they might be within the healthcare space? Absolutely. It's, it's really one of the most topical issues in the healthcare space, right? You have consolidation and deconsolidation going on all the time. Big hospital systems did a big round of consolidation about 10 years ago around the time of the Affordable Care Act. Um, and you also have, so you have a big strategic interest. You also have uh, a lot of private equity um, involvement in the sector. Uh, in the sense of, you know, buying practices and rolling them up, usually. It's a, you know, 
usually pretty good growth opportunity because people, you know, as we were talking about earlier, healthcare demand is, you know, is usually growing. And, you know, we have the graying of America and the demographics are always saying, you know, there's going to be more and more folks requiring healthcare. So it's a very investable space from the PE perspective. Um, as I mentioned earlier, UNH and CVS, along with Danaher last week, was talking about buying a life sciences company called Catalan. You know, M&A is really how these companies grow once they get to a certain size. Um, so on the strategic side, you know, we're, we're seeing the big, the big companies growing larger. And we're, seeing, we're also seeing companies like GE Healthcare, which was just spun out. Um, Thermo Fisher's done some deals. Deals are, are really, you know the biggest driver in my view of the space of growth in the space but what we're seeing on the private equity side you know is potentially a slowdown as rates rise as costs grow you know we're seeing a slowdown maybe a little bit in the investment on the provider side so there's a lot of activity in the vet space right now outpatient surgical centers um musculoskeletal you know um those those deals are going on, but I think the uh, the pace of M and A will slow, and a lot of these private equity owners will have to focus on their existing investments and maybe hold them for a little longer. Hold them for a little longer. Really interesting. And then I want to throw another name out there. Um, what's going on with Weight Watchers? <laughs> Weight Watchers is a fun story. Uh, not your typical healthcare name. It's kind of sort of a in betweener, a tweener between consumer and healthcare. Uh, it is discretionary, right? It is discretionary. It is discretionary. And one of the, the, you know, if you look at the history of the company, which was, it was started 60 years ago, um, and, it, it, you know, it's had its up and ups and downs over the years. Back in the mid-teens, you know, around 2015, 2016, the company was uh, struggling a little bit in terms of growth, and Oprah came back in, came in and really rejuvenated the brand, invigorated it, and saw growth, uh, really peak in 20, I think it was 2018. Um, Thank goodness for Oprah. <laughs> right. Well, uh, lately, though, uh, you know, since COVID hit, um, the company had to, you know, deal with the fact that people couldn't go out. So the studio business became a real drag. So they, they really reduced mm. their exposure to in-person meetings and studios, which, you know, frankly, was one of the big I think drivers of this company's success over the last, say, 60 years. And so they pivoted to a more digital offering with uh, a new CEO. And um, Seema Sistani is the new CEO. She's, she's brought a lot of energy and social media chops to the, to the, to the brand. But, uh, you know, it's, we're still in sort of a wait and see mode. And as a result of uh, the declines in studio membership and, and, frankly, folks maybe not being as focused on uh, weight loss as dieting sometimes in, in some circles has become taboo. Um, the business is struggling a little bit. I mean, if you, the, it, right now we're basically with, with the company looking at a top line, re, you know, revenue around of a billion and earnings EBITDA around 260 million on a trailing basis as of last quarter. This company had tried when they brought Oprah and we're trying to get to 2 billion of top line and they were around 500 million at their peak of EBITDA. So we're really declining. Um, and leverage is getting close to eight times. Wow, which eight is times. which is a little scary for a business that doesn't have a very big competitive moat, given all the alternatives out there. You could go on YouTube and just watch a video on how to do some stuff. Not the same as Weight Watchers, but I guess the concern is right now is that the bonds are trading, you know, around fifty cents on the dollar, um, which is pretty low for. Uh, <laughs> pretty pretty low for uh, these, this business that has been pretty pretty strong over the years. Um, so, 
I don't know. It, what's interesting, I think, too, is during COVID, they were able to refinance their, you know, close to 9% coupon bonds with 4%. Or 4.5%. Great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, great for the company, right? But when rates are rising, uh, that 4.5% can, lead, you know, as rates rise, that'll be punitive on the, on the price for those bonds. So that's part of the reason why we are where, where we are today. Um, I would also say, too, that... Uh, you know, this company, like I said earlier, has been really volatile in terms of membership growth over the years. And so we, I, I, what the company really needs to be invigorated. And, the, you know, we're, we're going to wait and see if the new CEO can can really generate uh, new buzz around the business. Got it. Got it for sure. Yeah, it seems like the pandemic and the aftermath of the pandemic, which is still ongoing, uh, continues to impact um, so many businesses. Uh, could you expand a little bit more on sort of how the pandemic is still having lingering effects on these companies? Yeah, you know, I think in particular with with Weight Watchers, uh, part of the um, part of the concern is you know, one people were flush with cash back during the pandemic. You had the support payments. You had the market was flush with cash. Individuals were when that's pulled away. You know, the Weight Watchers plans are something pretty cheap, right? Twelve to twenty-five bucks a month. But when, in, in our environment today, when you're paying ten or twenty-five bucks a month for six different subscriptions <laughs> to Netflix or you know Disney Plus or whatever it is, um, you, you start to be a little more selective in how you spend your money. Also, when you can have free options that are out there, you know maybe you'll you'll defer to those. Um, uh, you know, and, and as I said earlier, the market environment with rates where they were back in 2021 when the company refinanced their their bonds, you know, that was a big issue for, you know, that, that we're, we're, we're suffering as bondholders and, and Weight Watchers from the rising in rates. Um, also, I think consumer preferences have evolved since the pandemic, right? People have changed. Uh, and, they and have, ha- you yeah. Know, you know, Different I, world. <laughs> it feels like it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think one thing is you know, people don't talk about very much with Weight Watchers, but the rise of sort of body positivity has has maybe taken away a little bit of the impetus be- behind a lot of their membership, um, you know, staying uh, staying on plan. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it remains to be seen. We'll find out, you know, really this company has membership that signs up at the end of the year. And you know, go to four and a half, maybe five million of subscribers, and it usually trends down by 800,000 to a million subscribers by the year end. We'll see how this year plays out, whether or not they'll be able to sustain uh, membership at current levels. Sustaining membership at current levels. That will be the trick. Um, Thank you very much, Mike, uh, from Bloomberg Intelligence. You can read all of his analysis on the Bloomberg Terminal. And thank you so much to Carmen Arayo from Bloomberg News. You can catch all of her coverage and scoops on the Terminal or Bloomberg.com. I'm Olivia Ramonde. It's been a pleasure having you. See you next week on Credit Edge. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.